You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the Midside, where the farce comes fast and furious. Family. I'm your host, Justin M. Wisniewski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show, including that opening quip. I think I may have said it before, but the reason I did is I think we had some like actual real farce this week, and just this morning before recording... A bunch of it kind of jumped out last second, all fast and furious. So I had to say that quip. And if I've said it before, I apologize. Actually, no, I don't. Sorry, not sorry. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Why don't I just bring my co-host in? Joining me this trip from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of not knowing what he's saying, I'm on the show. It's been a it's been a good week this week. Uh, starting to cool down here, uh, so we're starting to get fall weather. It's uh, and, and then Michigan football. It's starting. Ranked number two, trounced a no name team from nowhere for our opening uh, weekend at home. So things are looking good, Justin. It's it's hard to believe it's it's football season again. It's hard to believe college is starting this weekend. It's hard to believe the pros start next weekend yeah it, i don't know man it's just maybe it's just me but does it not feel the same since brady left the patriots and then retired is that just me <laughs> well it is the it is a different era we live in the post brady football era it's kind of like uh you know uh, the, the, the i'm hoping that we'll get the show through the to the post woke era so uh hopefully we'll get there faster yeah, so so I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, you said Michigan's ranked high. Clemson's ranked number nine. Uh, FSU's ranked number eight. Of course, FSU has a big game on Sunday night, the the night that we're recording this show against LSU, who's ranked number five. So a lot's going to change in the rankings. I'm not sure if Florida State deserves the hype, but you know, living in Florida and being a Clemson alum, I get it all the time right now. So yeah. I hope we win. I feel like, that I feel like nice. the early rankings are uh, more a popularity contest, right? Yes. Uh, that way they can have stories about how far such and such dropped and how far up such and such uh, uh, rose, right? They, can, they can't make the Cinderella stories unless they take good, less popular teams and rank them very low. Well, and... I'll take, I'll go a step beyond that way. I mean, this sort of feeds into some of the farce we're going to talk about. We'll just come at it from a non-sports angle. I think there's a bit of influencing what they want to happen as well. And it, do you remember years ago, Dabo called Clemson the little team that could because nobody believes in Clemson and they're just a small town? Well, I think we kind of see that rearing its head right now. Traditionally, isn't Florida a football powerhouse? And I mean the state, I don't mean... The, yeah, the the you. I don't mean UF because we're talking about Florida State here. And wouldn't the media rather the market of Florida win rather than the market of Clemson win? So I think there's a little bit of desire in the rankings where they always put the big market teams that sell as higher ranked 
earlier in the season yeah. in order to <laughs> How influence many years the viewership. Has Notre Dame been ranked and then not yes. beat a ranked team. Yes, exactly. That's a that's a perfect piece of evidence for what I'm saying. They want to push the viewers in a certain way, and if they can influence the kids playing by making them feel good or bad about what their ranking is, then they've succeeded doubly because it's going to line their pockets more. So I don't know, a little bit of conspiracy talk. Or I'm assuming by your Notre Dame point, you agree? Yeah, for the most part, I think it's just bullshit. Yeah. So hopefully, when is it? Aren't they supposed to expand the playoffs beyond four teams to eight? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that seems like it feels like it's coming up, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought it was like 2024 or 2026. So we'll have to look into that because I think that will make things as objective as possible. These rankings don't really matter as much that they're just sort of for show at that point. And I mean, it's the same way when I coach. Right. Yeah, there is a there is a a website that there's a few websites that ranks the girls. And I don't think it's helpful to tell the girls what the rankings are, because ultimately it doesn't matter when you get into districts, when you get into postseason, right, districts, regional states, you get seated based on how you did in the season. So go out there, rest of your matches. And then when you get to districts, you automatically qualify for districts. So if you did decent enough, you could finish top four. Right. If you don't, especially if the number one girl or the number, the top two girls in your district aren't, you know, nationally ranked girls. So why do why do the rankings matter when there are actual playoff formats? Anyone can win in a playoff. All you have to do is go out there and have a good game, wrestle a good match. And I think the more college football moves towards more teams in the playoffs. Now, I'm not advocating for NCAA, but eight or 16, I think, makes it much more objective where none of this really matters and as a coach you can just focus on hey as i say all the time we don't train for august september october we train for february and march and they can say the same thing right we don't train for you know september august we train for december january i think it'll make things much more objective in that way Mm -hmm. i agree all right well let's also talk about like i was saying william the way the media and the way other people, I don't know. It's it's very confusing to me, the farce this week. There's a lot I want to hash out with you about what is real, what isn't, what's a PSYOP, what is a PSYOP? Are, are PSYOPs legitimate or are they just internet conspiracy theories? Let's get into all of it in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like every summer, we just complain and I hope it just like it's on. Because As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any... Oh, that's the midside.com slash Patreon and midside.com slash Locals. If I didn't say that already, we accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. And the reason I got distracted during that plug, William, is... I find our first sort of grouping of farce here very fascinating. Don't get me wrong. The rest of it is very fascinating as well when we start getting into meat-eating habits and birth rates and uh, Martha Stewart and global warming. All of that is hilarious, especially the Martha Stewart thing. Like, when that came across, I was like, that is super farce. Like, that is the definition of farce. But the first group I've kind of put under conspiracy madness because... I don't know, man. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on about 
what is real, what isn't. How do we tell what's real anymore? Because all of our information is mediated. And are there people trying to use that? And, you know, we sort of saw this in the Mission Impossible 5 trailer where they're like, it's who controls the truth that controls the world. How are people using that to push their agendas? And the first one we have to talk about obviously relates to COVID because I think COVID kind of brought this era upon us. You know, if we're talking about the post Tom Brady era of football, I think we also have to talk about the post COVID era of information and government decrees. And that is the Daily Mail reported that New York City is encouraging people to mask up over Labor Day weekend. A spokesman for NYC's health department told DailyMail.com that wearing a mask may be a good idea in crowded indoor areas this weekend when people are expected to congregate in large groups for the holidays. But they also expressed... Justin, hold on. Justin, wouldn't throwing salt over your shoulder also may be a good idea? Well, yes, that's the Adam Carolla angle, right? (laughs) Where he's like... It may be a good idea. (laughs) Where he, he talks about all these different things you could do. And he's like, when it gets to the point of like, I have to take... You know, three step backwards, throw salt over my shoulder and, you know, recite an incantation. I'm out. Right. But that's the point. Right. Here's here's the follow up sentence I wanted to read because it it coincides with what you're saying. They also expressed that nothing about the guidance has changed and that the city currently had no plans to make masks compulsory. William. Aren't they just not making it compulsory because they overplayed their hands during covid where People were more benevolent and more trusting of the government, so they were willing to go along with lockdowns and compulsory masking. But now there's not as much trust, so they kind of issue these statements to scare the people who are going to get scared. I mean, I can tell you going out in public, I've seen more people in masks, especially in the Disney resort, than I have in a year. And isn't it because they're pushing this fear now because they can't do it with legal mandates anymore? I think the uh, I think the conspiracy goes deeper on this one, Justin. Um, I think we have to come to terms with in the post uh, Brady post COVID era that uh, we have mask fetishes and they are their own voting block now. And these health departments got their political power from these mask fetishes. And so they have to pander to them. So I think part of it is that part of the answer is that which I just described, that there are folks out there with this fetish for wearing masks and they pester these health department officials for for constant validation that they are that their fetish is uh, valid and and needed to uh, continue the human race. And uh, the fact that they're not pushing it i think that's the answer why, why they're not mandating it or not trying again i think your your answer uh uh is the answer to that so i think you're kind of fit into my my mask fetish theory well i think your mask fetish theory goes into your broader theory which transitions nicely into canada's u.s travel advisory because i think the point of pandering to certain people is a brilliant point because it it shows that there's more going on here than simply trying to control. There is people just trying to get power. People just trying to get power. Yeah. And you have to appeal to as many people as possible to do that. And 
if your base is such as in NYC, right? The NYC health department is more left because New York City is more left. You have to appeal to these people. You can't alienate these people. And I, th- I think that points out that you know people on the right like to say this is more conspiracy driven. Like I believe Alex Jones said, we're headed for more lockdowns or something like that. Which yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's not a bad like if you want to seem smart. That's not a bad guess to make, right? Because if it does happen to happen, which I don't know, I'd maybe give it a fifteen percent chance of happening again. Although the last time I said numbers, we lost a large Canadian contingency. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. I hope I didn't alienate any more Canadian listeners. Uh, well, don't worry. We'll we'll piss them off in the next story anyway. <laughs> uh, and I, I think people forget that on the right, where they think everything is like a large government conspiracy, right? They forget that sometimes this is just people trying to keep their power rather than people trying to control. And I don't how much of this Canadian one is there, right? So there's an article from NPR and I find it very fascinating for a specific reason. And I've remixed the order a little bit because I think it would have been better written in this order. So I want to read a few paragraphs and then tell you what uh, I find interesting. Canada this week updated its travel advisory to the U.S., warning members of the LGBTQ plus community that some American states have enacted laws that may affect them. Outside Canada, Laws and customs related to sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, and sex characteristics can be very different from those in Canada, the statement added. As a result, Canadians could face certain barriers and risks when they travel outside Canada. The country's Global Affairs Department did not specify which states, but it is advising travelers to check the local laws for their destination before traveling. Since the beginning of 2023, certain states in the U.S. have passed laws banning drag shows and restricting the transgender community from access to gender-affirming care and for participation in sporting events. Global Affairs spokesman, and there's like so many accents on this guy's name. It's French. I'm not going to try and pronounce it properly. Jeremy Berube said Thursday in an emailed statement. Now, William... First of all, the fact that it does not specify which states is absolutely hilarious and shows that they're just also, pandering. Hold on. hold on. It also didn't specify which drag shows are being uh, banned. Justin, are we banning drag shows in any state? <laughs> so so you can't have drag racing in, in the Carolinas anymore? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, I just mean like drag shows in general. The only drag show laws I know of are about having drag shows in front of minors. Oh, Those yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well, that's that's what I, I, I'm I'm pointing out to you. So, <laughs> what are we talking about here? Uh, and and uh, uh, restricting the transgender community from access to gender affirming care. So yeah. So uh, conversion therapy is banned in certain states. It's true. Right. But none of this, none of this affects anyone traveling to the U.S. They do not stop yeah. you at the border in any state if you're transgender. They don't stop you at the border at any state if you're cross-dressing, right? Did I say on the yeah, show that when I was at the Germany Pavilion at Epcot that there was a man working there wearing the female costume? I, t- I discussed yeah. that, right? So yeah. even in Florida, even at Disney, this this exists. There, there's nothing and, that would impact the Justin, travelers. which sporting event would you be uh, barred from participating in if you were, if you were uh, transgender? Well, there there are things that are happening. Haven't we discussed that? Are you saying that that hasn't happened at all? Well, I I mean, like, if you're traveling, if you're a tourist traveling, right, right, like, 
Okay, maybe, maybe I guess if you're if you're uh, a man and uh, claiming to be a woman and trying to participate in NCAA sports, you know, maybe you will have problems in certain states or high school sports or something. Right, but this is but, where uh, I'm saying, William, it goes back but participation, to participation your... again is very broad here, right? Right. Is this attending a sports event? Right. Or is this... Uh, but you're not going to be know. blocked from attending. So this is yeah, what I'm saying. What I mean. like, it's way overly broad. This is what I'm saying. It goes back to your previous point about they're just pandering to their base. And what I mean by that is they're worried about people going to states and being like, oh, I wish I wasn't in this state supporting these bad policies. Because they're not going to be impacted directly or impacted personally but we're now living in a time where people say you're a hypocrite or you're immoral if you buy things from a company that doesn't 100 percent line up with your beliefs even though it's impossible for the them to 100 yeah. percent line up with your beliefs so you know if you go to chick-fil-a and you believe in gay marriage well then you're a bad you're person a betrayer of the cause yeah so are, yeah. isn't this just the canadian government there's two ways we can look at this what you said this is the Canadian government pandering to its base, or this is the Canadian government trying to wage a PR war against the United States. However, I think the fact that they don't say what specific states shows that this is just, oh, we're going to pander to our base because they're leaving it up to the people who are traveling to decide what state rather than, can you imagine if Canada was like, nobody from Canada should go to Florida. What kind of a yeah. international incident would and that create? And the reasons they give is because you can't see a drag show in front of children. <laughs> so, yeah, let's list the reasons why you wouldn't be able to travel to Florida. You can't see a drag show in front of children. Well, this would be tech. Let's pick on Texas. Can't see a drag show in front of children. I know they passed a law there that was uh, that's being fought in the courts right now. Um, you can't. Uh, let's see. You can't have conversion therapy, so you can't mutilate your body as a minor, right? I don't think anyone's passing any laws about adults, so you can't mutilate your child. Um, and then participation sports. Oh, you can't uh, have a UFC fight with a, uh, a transitioned male to female uh, fighting a male. Or the other way around, I guess, too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But, Justin, isn't this a, another great example of forced teaming? Let's yes. look at this from my yes. my perspective. I know I've disavowed the uh, the you know I'm, I'm the gay not queer uh, of of the show, but uh, what what part of this would even matter to me? I'm not going to go to a drag show. I think they're kind of dumb. Um, I don't need to mutilate my body or my minor my, uh, minor uh, my child's body, um, and uh, I'm not going to try to participate in female sporting events. So what does this matter to me? What what why why is this an LGBTQ plus advisory and not just a T or a cube or a plus advisory? Didn't Canada put Who the two in the LGBT S community in front of does it this too? Effect? Didn't what? Canada put the two S in front of it too? That's true. They forgot that part. But <laughs> but it makes my point, Justin. What what who does this matter in the community? Right? Who does this matter to in the community? It doesn't matter to the L, to the G, or the Bs. Unless there's some really crazy people that I would put in the plus that want to see drag shows with children. That's the only one I can think of that could even remotely be affecting someone traveling from Canada. That they well, want to take their child to a drag show in, in Texas or Florida. You know, that hub of, of great <laughs> performing drag shows. So... William, this is where it becomes really difficult to discuss this as a straight 
male, and may I even say straight white male, and maybe you should hit that. Uh, you you're a member of the plus, remember? Why, how am I a member the of the plus? The plus means anything. The oh. plus can be anything. You, you're super straight, right? So you can uh, I mean, you're, I you're find the plus. Do you want to hit the heteronormative <laughs> approach drop? Uh, but let's let's take the heteronormative approach here. The force teaming comes with the cluster B personality that you're talking about, and it's the idea of normalizing. And a lot of homosexual folks have been tricked into force teaming because they're saying, well, if you don't normalize trans lifestyles, people are going to go backwards and not normalize gay lifestyles, even though, William, I'm sorry, it's not normal. And I'm defining normal as statistically the norm. Yeah. Right. And that that's just, I mean, none of us are normal in some ways. And that's, this is something I get really... No one up- can be normal. Right. Yeah. No one can be normal. Right. right. Like by definition, like you cannot be normal. In some ways, but in other ways, you have to be normal to yeah. to live and have good life expectancy. You have to be normal in other ways. You are very normal in some ways, William, but you're also gay, which isn't normal, and you're gay and not queer, which is very abnormal. Very abnormal, yeah. Right? So Some would call it pathological. <laughs> right. But my point is the force teaming comes from, oh, we have to normalize everything and make everything okay. So they want to be around areas where kids can see drag shows because that means it's being normalized for them now it's all it's also imagine can you imagine if this was like tobacco right yeah and you had big tobacco trying to market to minors oh wait we did that we went through that yeah and now we have drag shows like people pushing back against drag shows sexualized drag shows to minors people pushing back against that especially the marketing of it to kids like um and somehow this is this is transgender abuse. Well, and, and the thing you just said, William, is where the difficulty comes in that I don't have an answer to, because I think we can agree and correct me if I'm wrong. And if you don't agree and I'm putting words in your mouth, please tell me. But I think there is a big difference between gender conversion therapy and a drag show for kids. And what I mean yeah. by that is. One is very clearly on the line of physically harming another human being, and one is very unclearly on the line of free speech. And what I mean is, is it government's right? Does government have a business saying you can't have a drag show for kids? Or is that something that should be parental and organization responsibility? In the same way of... Does government have a legitimate right to say kids under a certain age can't see a certain movie? Or should the parents and the movie theaters and the movie companies be making that decision? Because, I mean, Mm -hmm. let's look at it this way. Uh, Enforcement. Even if a movie is rated R, if the kid working the gate or any of the kids working the movie theater don't give a shit who goes into a theater, are we really stopping kids from getting into rated R movies? You would need law enforcement in every movie theater. Yeah. Now let's apply that to drag shows. Yeah. If you're well, ha- if you have yeah. hamburger Marys and people bring their kids in and nobody there stops them and there's no cop stopping them there, what what's stopping it from happening? It's not something that you can really enforce. So it's it's a yeah. gray area. I don't have the right answer. It seems to be freedom well, of speech, I but think, at the same I time, I think you're close. I think you're close to the right answer here. It, it's not that we need laws against drag shows for for minors. Um, maybe you could argue about marketing it to minors. Like, the, like there could be an argument there. Um, 
But is that I, not I free speech? Not is marketing yeah, not free I, I speech? Would be, I think I would. I think even then I would come down on the free speech side. The issue here is if we had a parent that was constantly taking their child to uh, a Korean spa, Justin, we would call that child abuse. Yeah. Right. And so there is I don't know where the line is. I don't know how many drag shows you have to take them to. But uh, this could be a pattern. This is definitely 69. a pattern of behavior. <laughs> 69. There you go. I, but you see what I mean, Justin? There's definitely a yes. pattern of behavior here. And I don't know where I don't know where that line is. Right. But but uh, saying that it's not safe to go to Texas because you can't take your child to a drag show is kind of ridiculous. Right. And I think what you're getting at here, William, and I think it actually leads into our last bit of conspiracy farce is I think we are still grappling with as a species how much psychological violence is equivalent to physical violence. And I know people might be like psychological violence isn't violence, but I'm using provocative language on purpose to make a point that... Are you about to punch a Nazi? No, I'm not about to punch a Nazi unless the Nazi tried to punch me first or I saw the Nazi, you know, in front of me assaulting somebody who didn't deserve it. But the, the point I'm making is I don't think we've yet come to terms with just how powerful psychology is and just how to deal with it. And I think this is a lot of what we're seeing is the effects of that. Because the point you're making is if you bring a kid to a drag show enough, there's a difference between exposing them to it. And you could probably make an argument that going once at a certain age isn't abuse because it's just exposing them to it. Like, say they're teenagers and you bring them. Now, if you bring a six-year-old, is that abuse? I don't know, because again, that's my point. We haven't yeah. understood the power of psychology yet to be able to suss all these issues out. And I don't mean the, the kid's way is suspicious. I mean the, the traditional definition of sus, where we can't make these claims yet because our scientific knowledge hasn't advanced a lot. So all of the controversies now are people taking one side or other on psychological issues where it's scientifically unclear. Whereas let's take the conversion therapy. We are against it for minors. I am against it for minors because I don't believe cutting the body is right when the issue is the mind. However, other people would say the issue isn't the mind. The issue is the body. So we cut the body because the technology has advanced. And I disagree with that, but the science is not clear enough for everyone to have agreement, and it's such arguments, such strong arguments because of that. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think it, it's also because we, uh, the scientific immaturity, because of the mind-body dichotomy, Yes, us talking about... Uh, you know, you have a true self that is this stereotypical man or woman, right? Like that leads you to all these errors, right? Yeah, that I, I agree with that as well when we're talking about the gender stuff where the self is disembodied. You know, yeah, the idea yeah. that the, there's this... no integration. Like right. we have a problem where the mind and body is being disintegrated. Right. And so our answer is to mutilate the body. And right. that, that just doesn't sound like, like that doesn't when you look step back and look at it objectively, it's like I'm, I'm a little stronger on that than you are. Right. I don't see like the I, I, I guess what what I mean by I'm stronger than that. You are. I'm saying my my sort of view is the the performing the surgery on adults to relieve the mental strain is because we don't know the answer on the mental side. Yes. It's the least worst option. Right. Yes. 
for some folks. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And when you say it in that way, I think I am as strong as you because I would even say when you cut on the body and change the body, you're changing the self because yeah. the, the the self is the mind and the body. And then it becomes a ship of thesis discussion. At what mm-hmm. point are you no longer yourself? That, yo, your mind may be the same, but your mind is changed by your body changing. They interact with each other. So it becomes more yeah. difficult. But this difficulty, this psychological difficulty, it's it's exacerbated by social media and it's exacerbated by reporting nowadays. And something the last thing I saw this morning under this conspiracy madness is uh, Laura Loomer posted a video, which it's also been reported on by the Daily Mail, that at Altamonte Springs over I-4 here in the central florida orlando area uh there was a supposed white supremacist march and i say supposed white supremacist march because i have a lot of trouble with two things here one i watched (laughs) the video and when i watched the video it's very uncanny valley to me or a better term i want to use william is it's very south park to me if it was actual white supremacist neo-Nazis. The way they were acting and the things they were saying didn't make sense. First thing I want to, maybe this is a very minor critique, William, but would neo-Nazis nowadays really say hail Hitler? <laughs> I don't think so. Right. Because they well, would recognize he's dead, right? Yeah. I, is it more to provoke a response from someone? Well, and that's what are they all trying of, to play victim? And that's what it felt like to me. It felt like to me that this group of men, and they were wearing like red shirts and ski masks and carrying flags, and they were saying things that it was just like, what super offensive things could they say to try and get a reaction out of people filming? Like Laura Luma, they were calling her trans. They were saying she had a dick. They were calling her a kike, right? They were denying the Holocaust. They asked her if they believe the Holocaust, if she believed the Holocaust happened. And then they said, and this is what I mean about like, it's hard to believe. But then again, people are this stupid. So one of the guys asked her, you know, are we allowed to question the Holocaust's existence? And she tried to mumble something about free speech because she couldn't properly reply. And he said, well, why in 18 European countries are we not allowed to question the Holocaust having happened or not? And then he walked away. And it's just like, is that a real person really saying that? Like, is that really what? Are are neo-Nazis really concerned about whether the Holocaust happened or not? And wouldn't they say if it that it's good that it did happen because they want to exterminate those people? I know just a lot of it didn't make sense to me. However, what I am hesitant about here, William, is when you look at the replies to Laura Loomer's tweets and even her tweet in itself, she's talking about, oh, well, this is the feds. And other people were saying, oh, look at how all of this, this is a a false flag operation by the feds. Uh, Somebody else said to me, it's interesting that you never see Antifa and these people in the same place like Clark Kent and Superman, which is an interesting <laughs> a, point. But, well, 
Justin, I have to stop you because I remember, I remember for old, way back in the day, Rush Limbaugh talking about how they would just bust these people in for protests. They wouldn't even know what they were protesting. Yeah. They were just there. Yeah. You know, it's like a bunch of union workers. It's like, oh yeah, just bust in the, uh, the, uh, the protesters. We'll pay them 15 bucks. And then they just go walk around. Here's your signs. They're passing out the signs. Then they go protest and they bust them home. Yeah. So there is, there is precedent for things like this happening organization in this way which is easier in the age of social media and in the age of digital um digital networking it's a lot easier and you can see why it would want to be called a false flag you'd see why would somebody would want to do a false flag and other people would call it a false flag but i have issues like this daily mail article says they were protesting for desantis but then the people in the video were saying how desantis is bad. And then they were saying, oh, conservatives haven't conserved anything, which to me, that's what neo-Nazis and white supremacists would actually say, because they're trying to advocate for the use of government to control society. So I, I, it's hard for me to distinguish what is actually true here, partially because this is the first, here's the other thing. This is the first time in my life, William, out of everywhere I've lived that I've actually seen this going on where we actually have groups of 10 or more people acting like white supremacists and neo-Nazis. So how do we know if this is real or not? Cause I don't want to be one of these people who just denies it because it doesn't make sense to me. It seems like it's very easy to evade by saying, Oh, these are feds, but how do we know that this yeah, is actually yeah. a false flag? I, I, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that it matters that much. And here's what I mean by that. These people are laughed at by people and, uh, the danger here has not been from, from, uh, you know, uh, frankly, overweight people yelling slurs and throwing obscene hand signs. Um, the issue here has always been the... The fact that we aren't thinking in principled terms when it comes to groups like this. And we allowed an incredible amount of violence on the left with Antifa. Yeah. And so this is directly a rea reaction to that. Other political crazy groups saw what Antifa did and didn't think, um, shit, they're winning. They, they thought, shit, it's on, right? And so I think that's the danger that we should be worrying about, right? The fact that we say that speech is violence and therefore punch a Nazi, uh, these guys are going to, you know, the, the political opportunists, the, the, you know, getting back to the, the narcissists in the world, the cluster B folks, they're going to take folks like this and turn them into another, um, another violent political faction. And their politics don't matter because the only thing that matters is, they believe violence is a, a form of political persuasion that should be encouraged in this country. And th in that, they are in agreement with Antifa. They are Antifa. The reason we can't tell the difference is because there is no difference, Justin. Yeah, it's just whatever they happen to latch on to to make themselves feel superior or better is what you're arguing. Yeah, both, both want to see me dead, Justin. So to me, there's no difference. Yeah. And fighting them is the same.
we 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 take away their their rights when they initiate um, physical force, and we didn't do that with Antifa. Right. Well, and, and I think a, a broader point that's related to what you're saying is the media and shame based culture. And, and what I mean by that is because the media is so left, when this happens something that they see as quote-unquote right, and we can debate whether white supremacists and yeah. neo-Nazis yeah, are Nazism, actually right. that far-right ideology yeah. of Nazism. It's claimed, though, in <laughs> the media that it is. socialism. <laughs> I know, it's claimed that it is, although the other day a kid did realize it and was like, wait, they're national socialists. I was like, yeah, somebody got it. They thought about what words mean. I forget who I was talking to, but that conversation came up and they, they understood that. But, you know, we can have that debate or not, but the, the, the point is a lot of people on the left believe they are, so they will signal boost this because they want people to believe that threat exists because they want to continue to promote their side as the right to use violence. But really what this comes down to, William, is, again, this goes back to the psychology point. Something we need to accept and learn as a species, notice how I'm not saying culture, I'm saying species, is that, I say this all the time, just because something you can do doesn't mean you should do it. Right, Just because drugs should be legal or are legal or it, in a good world, in a, in a real rational world they are, it doesn't mean you should do them. You understand what I'm saying? Yes? Yeah, I do. Okay. So to follow, it's the same thing with freedom of speech. Just because people can do what they want doesn't mean they should do anything. And it means there is value to using shame to enforcing healthy morals and healthy actions. And right now we've opened up everything so much that you can't fat shame. So people get fat. Or we, we have this anti-gatekeeping mentality right now. Right? I saw people talking online about how there were people at a wrestling show who they were more worried about getting their signs on camera than they were worried about watching the show. And people were like, you know, maybe watch the show and you're actually a fan of wrestling. And somebody else replied, oh, now you're gatekeeping uh, what a true fandom is. So we have this idea that you can do whatever you want. Yes, and there the can controversial, be... the controversial opinion of uh, watching the uh, the the wrestling match as a, that, that that's gatekeeping, saying that that's what a fan would do. But we've talked about this before, William, where there are people who sit on social media and make memes during football games and act like they're the football fans, and they want people to follow their accounts, right? There's, I'm sure there's out there the Wolverines. Instagram account that all game will just post memes and they're not really watching the game. And if we sat there and say that people would say we're gatekeeping, but that's what I'm talking mm -hmm. about with the shame based culture. It's, it's related to what you're saying. Nobody spoke out against Antifa and said, don't do this. They just said, Oh, this is a result of all the injustice in the in the culture. And I think William, we may not agree with collectivism and we may not agree with the naturalistic approach of the systemic problems but i think we agree there's injustice we agree that there are people who hold bad views and thus treat other people unfairly and oppress other people but we can't have that conversation because people will not shame people for using immoral and psychologically harmful to the self tactics it's worse we glorified antifa yes right well that's what happens when you get it's rid of shame worse. and you look we we often talk about gray 
But sometimes it is an alternative. And if you're not shaming, the only thing left is glorifying. Because what happens is, if you're not allowed to respond to somebody celebrating something with shame, well, they're just going to get worse with it, and they're going to glorify it. And that's where your Cluster B folks come in, where they're going to go over the top with it. The only response to a lack of shame can be glorification. But of course, moving on here to some uh, non-conspiracy farce, although we can very easily turn this into a conspiracy theory. How about the fact that there are certain people we still can shame? You know the people we still can shame, William? Men and meat eaters. So the New York Post has a hilarious piece of farce this week. And I say hilarious because mathematically, when you wrap your head around it, it's absurd. Where they say just 12% of Americans are eating half of our beef, beef supply. So that means, William, let me get this straight. Man, it, I eat a lot of meat, but I didn't know I ate that much meat. Well, neither did I till I read this article, right? So think about it mathematically. That means 88% of people are eating the same amount of meat as 12% of people. First of all, is there any surprise that everyone in our fucking country is fat? And I swear because, well, if you're not eating meat, you're eating carbs and sugars, aren't you? I wonder what percent. Let's do the same uh, analysis, Justin, on Starbucks. I mean, yeah. I bet, I bet, I bet. 12%, 12%, what, let's see, how's, how's this half work? Just 12% of Americans, mostly women, are eating half of our Starbucks supply. I mean, that's why pumpkin spice is popular every fall. But here, let me, let me read some more uh, of this article, okay? Because first of all, you're going to see how much meat you actually are eating, okay? A new study reveals that 50% of the beef consumed in any given day goes to just 12% of the U.S. population. And this heavy consumption of beef has significant health impacts on those Americans who are eating half of our steaks, meatballs, wieners, and hamburgers. By the way, wieners? Really? Who wrote this? Current U.S. Department of Agricultural Guidelines suggest eating, ready, William? Four ounces per day of meat, poultry, and eggs for those consuming 2,200 calories per day. But the study reveals some Americans are far exceeding that amount. William, I am in the some Americans category. Four ounces of meat? First of all... Four ounces of meat would not even be breakfast for me. Right. Right. I had a 22-ounce steak last night for dinner. That was one meal. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. 2,200 calories per day. I have to consume more than the amount I work out. And would anybody be able to have any muscle mass if they only ate four ounces of meat per day? Justin, I think this story, I know you're going to read more quotes, but I just can't help myself. This story is about inflation. There is no way that if we didn't have rampant inflation the last hundred years, that this would be true. People, when they are rich and their currency isn't inflation isn't inflating, they are healthier and they eat meat. Yeah. No, I will tell you based on what you're when, saying. When they when when they when inflation starts to happen, they switch to lower quality yep. foods, and they get fatter initially, yep. and then eventually they start. Yep. Because it's what you're saying. I mean, the number one thing that has gone up for me 
is chicken and steak. The number one thing over the past two years with inflation that has changed my standard of living is that I have to pay more for chicken and beef. And I mean significantly more like chicken is like double the price and steak is like what I used to pay for $20 worth of steak. I pay 30 to $40 worth of steak now. So that's like doubled in price. That's the number one thing now. So I think, I think you raise a good point, but I mean, I think when we go forward here, that point you're making is going to align with the conspiracy we could pull out of this. So to read some more. Well, I'm going to pull one more conspiracy out just really quickly. They're saying there's health effects to this. But if only 12% of Americans, mostly men, are eating half our beef supply, and 80% of them are fat, what does that really say? Well, that's... How do we know that that 12% is not the skinny 12%? Right, and that's the argument I was making earlier, that if you're not eating meat, you're not eating protein, what are you eating? It can only be carbs, can it not? And Or soy, I guess. <laughs> well, let me... Let me let me go forward with this then. Aren't the twelve percent of Americans eating beef heroes then? Because they're eating it so no one else can? They are they are self sacrificing. They are killing themselves with beef so everyone else can live. They're heroes. We're heroes, William. <laughs> We're heroes. All right. The USDA reports Americans overall consumed a whopping 30 billion pounds of beef in 2021, which equals almost sixty pounds per person per year, which to me that sounds low. 60 pounds per I feel like I eat more because I mean a pound is what 12 ounces 16 ounces how many ounces in a pound 16 ounces. 16 so, 16 ounces so so 60 pounds of beef I that feels like one I'm trying to think of how many pounds of beef is in my order that I get every every eight weeks I have a, I have a box of meat delivered well, that's what uh, I'm saying. If I had 22 ounces last... Yeah, I'm trying to do the math. Well, if I had 22 ounces and last I, night, right? And let's say on an average day, I yeah. eat 10 ounces. I mean, that's every two days I'm eating over a pound of meat. So, like, in a month, that's more than 60 pounds, isn't it? Or it's a little less than 60? So, in a year, you're only eating 60 pounds? What a hero. What a hero. <laughs> How am I not dead right now, William? I'm the, I'm the best I've felt know. in years. You want to know what's funny? Like, I'm still not on cholesterol medicine. I'm probably going to get put on cholesterol medicine in the next week. But that's all genetic. It's all genetic. But I'm going on it later than everybody else in my family history has because of the way I eat and work out. So, continued. The researchers were surprised such a small percentage of people consume such an outsized per proportion of beef study author dr diego rose nutrition program director at tulane university school of public health all right all right i I, i'll wait a minute has if this researcher is surprised by this then they are not a researcher it's called the Pareto distribution it is all over the place what 80 20 it is all over the place yeah yeah like you the the fact that most of something is done by the smallest part of it is like so common in every consumer activity. Like it's super common. I know it's just, and I feel you on that because like, you know, when you go to like any show or you support any like entertainment property, you look at like, I mean, look at pro wrestling, right? We were just talking about it. Like it really is 12% of people are doing 50% of the thing. And you look at them and you're like, I don't want to be part of them. And then you become more of like the, uh, the average fan or the casual, as people call them, right? You never in your life, William, and I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, 
I never in my life, you never in your life thought that like you would be in that hardcore group for something like eating meat. Like to me, this is just normal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but here's the conspiracy part. Ready? This is what Dr. Diego Rose said. We focused on beef because of its impact on the environment and because it's high in saturated fat, which is not good for your health. And then there's one other. Another false right. statement. Well, and then there's another quote I want to read um, where I can't find who said this, but somebody else quoted when referring to the study said the reason men are eating more is meat because meat, especially red meat is associated with masculinity, strength and power in Western culture. They would clearly say that what I was saying about muscle and, you know, health and fitness is part of that. You know, they would probably say myth. It, it's white supremacy. Right. Eating meat is white supremacy. Well, and that's supremacy. the conspiracy. Yeah. Tell someone, someone tell Zuby. Someone tell Zuby. <laughs> someone tell Zuby. Yeah. Well, and Terry Crews, right? And how about any, like, fucking professional oh, yeah. professional oh, NBA geez. or NFL player, right? The, I think those those sports skew more, more black, African-American, whatever term you want to use, right? Uh, but the point being, we could very easily connect dots here to say that the government has to regulate the amount of meat everyone eats to save the environment and to kill toxic masculinity. But then we can also That's see true. Oh Jesus. I didn't jump to that conclusion. You but didn't you're right. think of that. We must ban meat to kill toxic masculinity and save the environment. I mean, all the cows farting. Yeah. Man. Oh man. This is going to be, this is a panacea. Forget windmills. We can, we could save the environment, kill toxic masculinity and whiteness all by requiring people not to eat well and then how how long before antifa is going to crunch fitness and 24-hour fitness and firebombing those places and punching the nazis who work out there i mean i'm being over the top but do you see i I don't think you are (laughs) i think that's the next logical step i think we're gonna see uh we're gonna see uh, it'll start with like men's clubs if there's any left which i doubt um and yeah, it'll it'll move to uh, you know the more muscle gyms. You know, uh, CrossFit obviously yeah. white supremacist. CrossFit will be first. Um, yeah, yeah. Of course, this kind of mentality, William, I think extends far beyond simple, you know, attacking men or attacking meat. When we're talking about saving the environment, because remember we've talked about climate lockdowns are possibly happening at some point. You could oh, yeah. really wrap this all up in that conspiracy. Is is this all just setting the the cultural tone for that? We need you need to wear the mask to keep the CO two inside yeah. your lungs. Look at the way Martha Stewart was, as this article says, criticized after she captured a small iceberg for cocktails during her Greenland trip. So she posted an image on social media, and in it she's having a drink. And it says, end of the first Zodiac cruise from Swan Hellenic Cruises into a very beautiful fjord. Fjord! Remember, um, um, you know what I'm talking about. Pinky in the brain. Fjord! Uh, That would have been a good drop if we had thought about that ahead of time. And it says, into a very beautiful fjord on the east coast of Greenland, we actually captured a small iceberg for our cocktails tonight. To which then people in the comments litter up, right? And this goes back to what I was saying about the shame-based culture. This goes back to what I was saying about the people on the right being conspiracy theorists about 
these are feds pretending to be neo-Nazis. It's the same thing here where there's the disconnect from reality. One follower said drinking their iceberg cocktails while the planet is in flames is a bit tone deaf. Um, isn't saying the planet is in flames a bit tone deaf just because it's warm? Like, where are the flames? <laughs> Another said, Martha, the ice caps are melting. Don't put them in your drink. Uh, so here's my question, William. Where is the line between an iceberg and an ice cube? Because based on the logic of the responses here, couldn't you just ban all ice because of global warming? Oh, well, ice is a precious commodity, so we're not allowed to use it anymore. We need to keep it in the ocean. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. I think Newfound Glory has an answer for us, though. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Well, that's, of course, Martha Stewart's reply, yeah. right? <laughs> it would, but at which point is the tip of the iceberg an ice cube, and which point is this an actual iceberg? <laughs> I don't know, but the the... The idea that she actually affected the climate by capturing an iceberg to put into her drink is hilarious. How do they think we got ice before the invention of refrigeration? We didn't. We just suffered in silence, which is the the, the real way to be. <laughs> ah, I see. So we're talking about going back to a state of nature where there is no ice, there is no, uh, there is no uh, uh, refrigeration, and there is no global warming. The, the climate just cooled. I mean, isn't that. that sort of the underlying premise to everything we've talked about in this episode where it, it is? It's, it's yeah. what you just said. People are more successful, so they eat more meat. Well, they want us all to go back to a state of poverty where we're, we can't eat as much meat, where it takes much more effort to kill an animal and cut it up and cook it. Same thing here. Right. They want us to go through all this effort to chip off ice from an iceberg and eat part of the iceberg it's all anti-progress it's all anti-civilization is it not isn't it all a self-hating death cult yeah i i i can't imagine worshiping an iceberg when most of humanity suffered through ice ages right like it's it's crazy to think about like we're we're living we live in a time with the least climate related death in human history thanks to capitalism and technology and uh we're 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 uh we're criticizing Martha Stewart for enjoying a a, a novelty cocktail with a piece of Greenland iceberg I can't imagine to build on what you're saying sitting there on my phone on an app on my butt doing nothing and I'm criticizing this Powered by fossil fuels. Right, this 80-year-old woman. Think of all the fossil fuels you burned to send that tweet. And that's exactly the point is, first of all, why Martha Stewart was like, hey, I'm going to post this and it's going to be cool, right? Like, hey, I'm I'm glad (laughs) you had that experience, Martha Stewart. But at no point, if I ever go to Greenland and have a bit of iceberg, am I going to feel the need to show it online? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, when I show things online, it's because I think it's going to help other people or make other people feel better. Right. If you've noticed, I post a lot about like in the in the winter, I post a lot about my wrestling team because I know a lot of them follow me or now a lot of the alum follow me. And it's a way to keep people informed. It's not because I'm like, hey, I want to show off this cool thing that happened. I mean, when I went to Italy, was I posting a lot about what I did in Italy? Uh, not I mean, you were posting something, yeah, but not a lot. Right. 
and the the, no, the things I was posting were like, here's what I learned, or here's what came out of it. It wasn't like, hey, look, I uh, I, I I took a piece of iceberg and drank it. Like, at what point do we care that Martha Stewart put ice in her drink? This is why I get annoyed because this is this is all rhetorical argumentation, and this is like the perfect Daniel story. So I wish he was here, but mm-hmm. if she would, if she just puts put. Let me put it this way. If she just posted that she posted that she had a drink and she had ice in it while she was in front of an iceberg in Greenland and was like, ha ha, isn't this funny? I have ice in a drink while I'm near a giant iceberg. Would anyone have been mad at her? No. Maybe some extremists who were like, that's insensitive. But most people would have been like, ha ha, that's funny. But because she used the word iceberg, people got mad at her. Think about that for a minute. All right, I think that brings us to the end of the farce this week. As you can see, oh, I've wanna, I, I think I think I can make one personal farce story okay. just really quick. So, you know, I just moved out here to Sonoma County, right? It's related to the global yeah. warming farce. That's why I didn't bring it up at the top of the show. Um, so, when you sign up for power here, we have the great Pacific Gas and Electric Company. Um, you may remember them from such hits as the last couple wildfires here in California, starting them, um, and so. I sign up and get my PG&E service for my house, and one of the disclaimers they read is, hey, um, you are automatically opted into a local power generation, so not PG&E power generation, Sonoma Clean Power. And I said, okay, well, I don't want that. And they're like, well, you can't do that. I was like, well, what do you mean? Uh, so you're, you're automatically opted in. If you want to opt out, you have 60 days to do it. You have to go to this website and jump all through these hoops. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. So I do all these hoops. I uh, do some research on it. Justin, of course, it's the uh, carbon-free, renewable energy, more expensive electricity generation. You're automatically opted in when you create an, uh, 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 a power account in Sonoma County. All right. That sounds terrible. I sign off of it. Everything else. Well, guess what? They did that for the business, too. I went back and looked at my stores, and they signed us up for Sonoma Clean Power as well. And when you call, they make you argue with someone about why you're leaving the leaving the uh, Sonoma Clean Power. I told them, I don't. I was automatically signed up, and I don't think that's a good idea, and that I su- support fossil fuels and nuclear power, and I don't want to be on renewables. And he argued with me. Both times I had to call for both things, for both my business and my personal account. I had to make the same arguments. They would not just remove me until I argued with them. So, Justin, I think this... Uh, I think this... Uh, this push to uh shame has entered into the uh into the uh environmentalist field so we won't shame the uh the antifa folks when they uh, burn cities to the ground but we will shame people who are bullied into accepting renewable energy when when it's a more expensive and b in order to opt out you have to jump through all these yeah i'm glad you pointed out the shame culture still does exist in some ways it's just that one side has largely capitalized on or or largely claimed it. They claim relativism or subjectivism, but then they claim shame at the same time, right? Because they believe the only way if everything's subjective is they have to win by psychological force, which goes back to my point ultimately about psychological force. But I have a short term question to ask you. Like, would you say argue with them? 
What do you mean? Because the, because yeah. you you explained it right, and you're like, "This is where I stand." And then what? They present arguments against you, and you have to like. Exp- I said, I said, I support nuclear power and fossil fuels. And they said, "Oh, well, we have nuclear power in our in our portfolio," which is a half truth. They do have it in their portfolio, but their portfolio is fifty some percent uh, carbon free. Uh, emissions on one plan and then on the most expensive plan it's 91 percent carbon free now forget that this is all just accounting bullshittery right like the base load here is the the nuclear power plant and the coal-fired plants around here that's just what it is that's what the base load is right Um, but my question is at what point do they acquiesce and actually let you cancel because they're always going to have a comeback to anything you say yeah yeah it's a sales pitch they're trying to keep me on their subscription service right right it's like calling to cancel your cable. If you ever try to do that, it's the exact same thing. Right, but at a certain point, you just have to have wait all these for them to give and deals up. and offers. It took up three go rounds. I had the same conversation, and there were three times. How many? How many minutes? Uh, it took about, uh, I'd say, probably like seven minutes for each phone call. That's not too bad because sometimes you get stuck on the line with people who are sales in this way, and it's hours. You know? Yeah, because they just yeah. keep talking. I mean. I don't even argue with these people. I just say, no, not interested, not interested. I don't need to explain myself. I just don't want it. Yes, I know what you're saying. No, I'm not interested. You know what I mean? You just have to stonewall them, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's the the moral indignation I feel about them like starting off by starting off each phone call when I say I want to cancel Yeah, and that I'm appalled that I'm automatically entered. They're saying, oh, no, this is voluntary. Yeah, it's voluntary, except for when you connect your power, you cannot disconnect yeah, it. I know. I mean, it's not right? in the same. You cannot opt out at the point of sale. You must wait and do it within a 60-day window yeah, afterwards. And it's not in the same realm, but for the toll company here, when you sign up, you can't opt out of paper, um, paper statements, and they charge you 250 a month for the paper statements, and you have to figure out that they're charging you for it and either go online and cancel or call them and cancel the paper statements, but they automatically opt you in. So a lot of people do this in different ways. It's very dishonest. I don't know how it's legal to be honest with you. I don't know how it's legal either. All right. That was an interesting bit of farce, but I think we're all farced out for the week, right? It's a holiday. We gotta we gotta recover. We gotta date. That's to true. So you guys can have a little this will be a little bit of an extra long episode because we got five trailers to talk about and a movie to review in The Hopeful Romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Scroll to midside.com and midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link, and in there you will find the join code. Uh, In the Discord, you can share your thoughts on the trailers that we talk about on Trailer Takedown, and you can contribute to the show by dropping any farce in there and giving us any commentary so then we can... uh, not produce the show and you can produce the show because I'm lazy. So help me be lazy, please. I want to be lazy. Got a lot coming up over the next couple months. So 
Make the show for us. Make it easy for me. Okay, William, this week I want to review Retribution starring Liam Neeson. Do you remember the trailer for this movie? Uh, you know, there's so many Liam Neeson trailer knock or sorry, um, uh, taken knockoffs that I can't remember which one this was. Well, this is the one where you said that they put him behind the wheel of a car because he can't move as well oh, anymore. Yeah, because he can't fight. Oh, yeah. I do remember this one then. Yes. yes. Well, this is my review of it. Retribution borrows heavily from Speed, Taken, and Die Hard, but doesn't climb to the same heights as those influences due to a tired twist and all-too-cliche climax. So, the main problem with this movie is twofold. And I don't want to go into too many spoilers or anything. It is just him driving in his car the whole movie. Uh, They do make it work. Uh, I think we're going to discuss a trailer later that I don't know if they're going to make it work, at least from the trailer. Um, but this movie, he gets in his car, his kids are in the car and he gets a phone call that says, Hey, there's a bomb in your car. Do as I say, and, uh, you'll live and your kids will live. Uh, it's set in Berlin for some reason. He is an American working for a investment firm and it comes out throughout the entire movie that this has to do with money that. The investment firm has put aside in an account in Dubai, so if anything goes wrong, that the partners can go and they can still live a good life. And part of what makes the cl- the climax all too cliche, without spoiling anything, is this really becomes a critique of capitalism in the end, where it's, oh, you know, investment firms essentially think they're good guys because they're helping people make money, but really what they're doing is stealing from people because even when the people investing in them lose money, the investment firm makes money, right? Because you're charging a fee for doing transactions and for your business. And the entire point of the movie is essentially that Liam Neeson is a liar and that, that that's the lie that these firms, these, these capital firms, I'm not using the right term for these firms are all participating in the idea that you can, lose money and they can make money that they're lying that that happens essentially uh that's the one one main problem the other main problem is why do movies not have any sort of falling action anymore literally you find (laughs) out so there's a whole twist the bad guy disguises his voice the whole movie and you find out who it is and then within 10 minutes the bad guy is dead and liam neeson has won and the movie just ends Right, there's this whole thing. The end. <laughs> there's this whole thing about like him and his family and everything, and you know his wife wants to divorce him, and his kids think he's a liar. And but at the end of the movie, he survives, and then there are brief sh- like brief flashes of each member of his family, and he realize that's you them us show us them showing us that he cares about his family more than he did before. Cause at an earlier point in the movie, he's like, he's promised I'll be there from now on, blah, blah, blah. You know, keep in mind that these are things that are said in the heat of a traumatic Sam. action. Right. I mean, it's fast and furious again, but no movie has falling action anymore. What about the fact that this was national, probably international news because there were multiple car bombs in the city of Berlin and he was the, the suspect. Did they f- find the the dead body of the villain is he scot-free what happens now what does his life look like now 
because he can't work at the company he worked at anymore. What lessons did the main character learn? Oh, no, he simply survived. I, I don't know. Is it just on the cutting room floor somewhere, or did they just do the writer strike prevent them from writing it? I mean, what's going on? I, I, I don't think so. I think it's two things going on here. One, I don't think audiences care anymore. This is pragmatism 101 in writing. Think about how every movie has to start with an exciting action pass scene, scene, right? Everything is titillation now. Everything is spectacle. Remember, we've talked about spectacle versus catharsis. Everything is spectacle. There's no more catharsis anymore. And it's the same thing at the end. Nobody wants to sit in a movie and see what happens after. Oh, well, we've we've had our adrenaline spiked. We'll just Google it. Yeah, we'll just Google it if we care. Right. So they don't need to make it that way anymore. Oh, well, every, the crisis is averted. The climax has occurred. The, clim- the conflict has ended. Now that the conflict is ending, nothing else matters, even though it hurts the quality of the story and the quality of the art. Don't you? It's it's it's, it's in everything now. I don't think it's writer's strike. Don't you see it in everything nowadays? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I I uh, so Justin, what I what I watched this weekend was uh, I finished the last season of His Dark Materials on HBO. It's a mm-hmm. book series that I enjoyed, sci-fi fantasy book series. And what, just from what you're saying, what a contrast. They did an excellent job on the falling action and the denouement of that story. Because if you, uh, this is is minor, I guess, spoilers, if you haven't read the books. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. But two characters basically f- after their adventure fall in love and they spend almost entire episode letting that breathe right letting that blossom and breathe and it is the it is the sort of second climax of the of the story of the books um and they spend up like it's almost the last three episodes i think it's just dealing with this final thing like you've had this whole war that happens and then you have this this still lingering conflict that you're that you know not all the not everything was solved because the the bad guy died yeah right and you deal with the fallout of their decisions yeah. and, and and everything else. And it's, uh, you know, I could see modern modern audiences, quote unquote, saying that's boring. Yeah. But it's so cathartic, right? right. Like it's it, like you really feel like you've been dealing with these characters so, for so long and you see them um, achieve this thing. And then uh, because of the circumstances of the story, they they have to uh, make a decision to not see each other anymore. Right. And um and it's a it it's done really well. It's done really well. Yeah. But I don't think you could do that in a theater. If this was a movie, you would not be able to do that, Justin. Well, and it would end. It would have ended uh, right after the end of the war. They would have got married, and the end. Right. Well, and I think it's even in TV too. I mean, with the way you're talking, it really makes me think of Game of Thrones. And was it the whole reason people oh, were wow. watching? How rushed? Well, yeah. it was rushed because the entire season, the entire last season was just all climax. And what I mean by that is they were basically saying that the reason people were watching was to see who would become ruler of the Iron Throne. And the last scene is that. But really, couldn't you have argued that that should have been halfway through the season or with three episodes left? And then the rest is the fallout of what the society yeah. looks like now that Bran is on the Iron Throne? I mean, isn't that the yeah. problem of why people are upset with Daenerys? Because her turn was so sudden? Because it was all climax. It was just yeah. 
oh, here, now we have to get to the end really quickly, and we have to get to the end in a way that the final scene is the climax rather than the falling action from it. When the show was all rising action. Think of where it started and how it went forward from there, you know? Yeah. All right, it's, so... Uh, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. It's all, it's, all, it's all explosions. Right. It's all It's all explosions. No catharsis. That's why Retribution... I give a solid bro rating or 2.5 because like you said, it is exciting. It is action. It is Liam Neeson. You're going to get what you think you're going to get. It's just, you're not going to get an astounding work of art or something that's going to have any staying power. It's just sort of going to be like, Oh, okay. I saw that. It was fine. Moving on with my life. And my wife asked me afterwards. She's like, what'd you think? I was like, it was fine. I don't have a problem with it. I think these things were wrong with it, but whatever. Moving on with my life. Let's go home and go to bed. All right, now let's talk about some stuff that's going to come out, and maybe, maybe, maybe it'll have some folly action. I don't know. It's time for uh, trailers. You can watch them whenever you want. They're in the Discord. Maybe you want to watch them before the episode, after the episode, or during. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. The Continental is a three-part miniseries prequel Uh, about the Continental Hotel from the John Wick series, starring Mel Gibson as the proprietor of the hotel. And I don't know who the guy is, but he's playing a younger version of Winston. So this is presumably the story of how Winston's character takes over the Continental. It's interesting to me that it's only three parts, because that seems to imply that it was written as a movie, and they couldn't get it into the theaters, so they made it a miniseries for TV, which, hey, with the budgets being thrown around and the money being thrown around right now, where we're in the, I think we're in the death throes of the streaming bubble right now, where people realize they can't spend this much on content, that they need to let the advertising pay for the content like it always has in the history of television, and they haven't been doing in streaming. You know, they they thought, oh, if we invest, we're going to get more subscribers, which is true. But then at a certain point, either the subscribers need to pay for the content or the advertisers need to pay for the content. But while we're in it, I'm going to enjoy shows like this. This looks like it's a John Wick show. I don't know how I feel about people being able to kill as well as John Wick. I think in in order to preserve his importance in the universe and the main storyline, he has to be the best killer ever. But... This does have a lot of the good elements of it, and it looks like high-quality cinematography. So, for me, this is a hug. Hug. You know, I haven't... uh, uh, I've said this before. I haven't gone all the way through the John Wick uh, um, series, but I don't think I need to to understand this. Uh, It looks interesting. It looks like it's got a lot of good choreographed fighting. It looks like the visuals are interesting. Um, The acting doesn't look terrible. I think I'll give this a chance, Justin. So this is a definition of Netflix and Hug. Netflix and Hug. Second trailer. Desperation Road is a action drama starring Mel Gibson as the father of a guy who is involved with it. I say involved with because it was unclear of the relationship between the son and this woman who kills a cop. And it looks like the cop was falsely arresting her or going to... I don't know, sexually assault her or something. So it was self-defense. But then this trailer goes on way too long. And like nothing really seems to happen in the trailer. And it seems to be like this sort of 
false sense of drama. It's it's weird. It's almost like they're trying to combine naturalism with an action movie. And I don't know with with how the trailer, like the performances were nondescript, everything kind of just blurs together in the way it looks like all the characters look and seem similar. It's just the longer the trailer went on, the less appealing it became to me. I don't need to see like this gritty Southern lifestyle with a corrupt cop. And then you also seem to make the corrupt cops black. There was just a lot that was very, very uncomfortable about this. Not even in the sense of like politically or philosophically. It just wasn't enjoyable to watch this. It was like they they did the walking dead and took out the zombies. All very strange. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying. I I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it never did. You were waiting for the zombies. And, uh, maybe, but I don't know if part of that if that's because there is another shoe and they didn't want to give it in the in the trailer. But I don't know this. This seemed confused, and I was confused. So I I I don't know if this is social commentary or action. Or trying to be both? I don't know. But it seemed confused and looked actually kind of boring. So, tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Mercy Road seems very similar to Retribution in that there's a guy driving and Toby Jones is on the phone with him and telling him he can't stop driving and get out of the car. Uh, The trailer says everything in this trailer is from the first 30 minutes. And everything in the trailer is just him driving. Now, here's my problem. I think that they're doing that because the entire movie is just shots of him inside the car driving. It reminds me of, William, did you ever hear of the, the Ryan, Ryan Reynolds movie Buried where it's him inside a coffin? And it's Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. And I started watching it because I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, this is an interesting concept. But then literally it's just him inside a coffin for an entire movie, so I stopped watching it. That's what this looks like. Like, they stylized it in sort of a Sin City kind of way in the way they shot it, so the cinematography is interesting. But how long am I supposed to watch a guy, like, answer the phone and drive? Even if there is, like, a lot of tension in it, supposedly. At a certain point, your tension goes away, right? Because there's no real stakes. It's just people saying shit to him over and over again. I mean, is that any different from just reading people arguing online? What's the difference? That it's in motion rather than in text? It's visuals rather than text. I just don't think this trailer has shown enough to show me that it's not going to be just exactly that visually. And at that point, you're not using the medium for what it's for. I mean, this sounds like it could be more like a radio play. Audiobook type deal. Maybe you needed to deal with Audible. Tackle. Tackle. Uh, I couldn't help but... Just right at about maybe 10 seconds in, I'm like, I'm like, this is meth, the movie. Isn't this every trucker on meth? I can see that. Yeah. That's all I could. That's all that went through my head, Justin. No way. This looks stupid. Tackle. Tackle. Fourth trailer. What happens later is a romantic comedy starring David Duchovny and Meg Ryan directed by Meg Ryan. Both of them are stuck in an airport together. Their flights are canceled and they used to be involved in the past. It seemed like 
Uh, the cinematography is very crisp in this. It's crisp in a way that romantic comedies don't usually do. There's also a meta edge to this that isn't really covered in the trailer. It's hinted at. So at one point, David Duchovny unplugs a sign that says rom-com on it. It's a movie poster for a movie called rom-com. And also the announcer at the airport talks to the two of them directly. Like he'll make announcements and then they'll, they'll say something and he'll reply to them. So that meta element is really intriguing to me along with the fact that this is Meg Ryan directing it, sort of in the fact that um, Clint Eastwood has become such a good director because he was in movies for so long and then he started directing them. So factor in those three elements, the meta element that's hinted at, uh, Meg Ryan directing it, and the very, very crisp cinematography. And this is something I'm willing to give a chance. Would I see it in theaters? I don't know. It depends on what else is out around the time. But for me, I'm going to take a chance on this, and I'm going to call it a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. I don't know about this movie. I I I I see what you're saying about the meta, meta element. That's interesting. But this just seems like, and I know this is a rom com, so it's going to be this. But it's like a woman's midlife crisis. The movie, right? I don't disagree. Um, I don't disagree. And. And and that that premise is just not interesting to me. Maybe it's uh, even though I identify as a woman, um, maybe it's just because I haven't hit my midlife crisis as a woman. Um, and the whole thing about like Justin, I got a lot of hints of like, well, I changed my mind about like, you know, you know, the fact that I didn't have kids, so I'm going to like mess around with this other married man like that just seemed weird like i don't know what the pretext was there but why they were putting that in there they they put that in that he was married and had kids or at least had kids i don't know if he's still married and that she didn't have kids i don't know it just seemed it seemed a little i don't know maybe maybe it'll be fine justin but it might be very um uh, very woke let's just say it might be so uh that all all that being said uh, I don't think that I would put this on unless uh, I was on a flight to somewhere. So that means it's definitely a very, very light tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Five Nights at Freddy's is the movie based on the incredibly popular app game. There's a series of app games. It stars Josh Hutchinson as a man who is hired to work at the old sort of Chuck E. Cheese-esque restaurant from the 80s as a night security guard, and he brings his daughter for some reason. And he finds out that the animatronics are possessed by ghosts of children that were killed there in the past. Uh, I'm willing to give this a, a chance because of how popular the game series is. And how they really seem to have captured, and I've never played the games, but they really seem to have captured the look and feel. So it seems like they're trying to have some fidelity to that series. And I'm willing to see what all the hype is about in regards to that series and and the premise and everything. I don't know if they're going to execute well or not. I don't know if it's going to satisfy the true fans or not. But I think this is inventive enough and it's original and I appreciate 
trying to create new franchises and trying to create new properties. So this is something I think deserves to be to be given a chance and supported because we talk about remakes and reboots and everything. And this is none of those things. This is just something that got popular and was good and they're, and they're making it. And let's see what it can do and see what quality it can be. Hug. Hug. This is Jump Scare the Movie. I have a prediction that your wife will avoid seeing this movie by making you go see what happens later multiple times. <laughs> I mean, maybe, uh, but I I think the she will see jump scare stuff. She just didn't really yeah. want to see the Dracula movie for some reason. So, yeah, I'm just I'm just memeing. Um, it's not know, a bad guess. I haven't I <laughs> I have not played the Five Nights at Freddy series, but I've uh, you know can't help but uh, absorb a lot of the lore because there's been a lot of lore discussions. Um, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the popularity of this game was not just the like the game itself because it was fairly simple but uh the exploration of the story elements in the game um i'm not sure how you translate that into the film all that being said i'm not a huge jump scare moviegoer i end up just laughing which is uh usually not the appropriate response because like you said justin i can tell when the jump scares are coming so uh, i don't know that i'll be able to if there's more than eight jump scares uh, I think uh, I think I would have to pass. So maybe I'll wait till someone else watches it first. Uh, but this is a very very light tackle again. Tackle. All right, William. That brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this time? <clears throat> that shame is alive and well, but only if you're a Nazi. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned that a lot of what is considered conspiracy theories is actually just people pandering to people who are a very small percentage and that we are in that small percentage in regards to eating meat. So I I guess we're all hypocrites and whatever. Maybe the left is right. Go naturalism. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into the corner of my closet like a crazy person, not being able to figure out whether there are actual Nazis in Orlando or not. And thankfully, William has convinced me it doesn't really matter because they're nobodies. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to the midside.com slash store, pick up some merch. You can go to the midside.com slash Patreon and the midside.com slash locals. That's Patreon is per episode locals is per month that's how we keep the lights on and pay our hosting bill as always if you want to grow the show you can tell a friend especially a female friend this concludes your journey into the midside i'm justin emblazeski reminding you that if things get tough take a step back and witness the farce have a nazi free day I forgot to ask you, have you listened to the New Point North album? The whole album finally came out, like, what was it, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I listened to it this week. It's it's pretty good. It, this sounds like a planned plug, but actually it isn't at all. It's just a coincidence that I listened to it this week. But yeah, it's pretty good. It's just <laughs> interesting to me they're changing their sound to go sort of like more heavier. They're going heavier and sort yeah. of more post-hardcore than pop punk. So Yeah, I, I think it's a good... It, for me, it's a good uh album for them it's expanding it's a lot like you know i I was a huge fan of the more hardcore 
Youth on Glory album, but over the years it's grown on me. So uh, I think that's I think that'll probably be the same thing here. It's interesting. I mean, it'll be interesting where they go from here. But I I not usually a big hardcore fan, but like it it the album kind of works, and it's a whole album, which is rare. You know, like the it the actually goes together as an album, which uh, it's not just doesn't feel like just a string of singles to me. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good album, and I have the same thought you do: is where do they go from here? But then I also thought. Man, aren't I a victim of our current culture where they just released a new album and I'm wondering what their next album is? The next one. (laughs) Uh, Just shut up and eat your meat, Justin. 